when I think over the last 30 or 40 years, um, there has been some incredible inventions that have been made, but I believe there is one invention that is at the top of the list um, that I believe affects our daily living, especially if you are a sports enthusiast, and that is instant replay. That's changed. That's changed, hasn't it? Instant replay has changed everything. Um, uh, you know, if you go, that's the problem I have with going to a live sporting event, like one of my son's football games. I'm looking up at the Jumbotron saying, oh man, my son just made a great tackle. I want to see that on what? Instant. It's not there, is it? That's the frustrating thing. But when you're watching live TV and they have instant replay or you have a DVR and you can go back to this great play and I always do it with my son. Hey guys, look at this play. And you can go back and you can rewind it and you can play it over and over again. That is just an incredible, incredible uh, invention. Um, watching football and, and refs that maybe have made a bad call and then it gets turned over, especially if it turns out good for your team. You know, those are those. And then you watch it and you're listening to the analyst saying, well, I don't know if that ref made that good call. or I don't know. Let's let's do the instant replay. And they show it like a thousand times over and over and over again. It's interesting because uh, uh, this invention of instant replay was was invented by a, a gentleman named Tom Verna, who just uh, died uh, this year. Um, it, it, this instant replay reminds me of the movie Groundhog Day, Day where Bill Murray relives his life over and 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 over again on February 2nd. Um, can you imagine if we got a do-over? How many of you, there are parts in your life where you say, man, I wish I got a do-over. I, yeah, I wish that we could play instant replay and just do that whole thing over again. Press, rewind, and start over. Now, we are in a series, this is the second to last message that we're talking about, hashtag selfie, my identification in Christ. Who actually are we? And, and, and what we're going to look at today is that in Christ, our identity in Christ, when we come to him, everything changes. We get to, we get to do a do-over. There's, there's a new beginning. There's a fresh start that God doesn't hang that over. That, that God doesn't, thank God, that God doesn't press the rewind button on our life to show us all our past mistakes over and over and over again. Can I get an amen? I mean, that, that's, that's something to get excited about, 830 crowd, okay? This, this is something that we should understand that my, identif- my identity in Christ now I get a do-over, that everything changes, that everything becomes new, that literally I am reborn. That's what, that's what I want to really dive into today, that, that, that when we are in Christ, we literally are reborn. I get a fresh start. Only Christ can do this. We, 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 it's a whole change in the way we look at things. The, everything changes in the way we behave and, 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 and how Christ changes our spirit and changes our heart. And Christ is the only one who can do that change inside of us internally. And, and, and I can't do that in my own power, no matter how much I try. I can try to act better or try to become a better person. But only Jesus can renew my spirit. Only Jesus can truly change my heart. 
That's a battle that we're seeing in our world today. Our battle that we're seeing in our world today, I believe, is a battle of who are we? An identification of who are we? There's an identity crisis in our world today where, where people are doing everything from changing their gender to everything they want to do to say, I'm not happy with who I am. Here, here, let me give you my little, and this is all I'm going to say about it. Let me give you my little commentary on this. It doesn't matter how much you change the outside because that can never change your heart. God has to deal with our heart. The problem with man is their heart. And so what we try to do is we try to change all this exterior stuff to try to deal with the heart. And God says, no, 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 no. Unless I have your heart, nothing else will matter. It, it will be a futile attempt to try to identify with something that will only leave you empty and leave you wanting more. And the cry of man's heart is to want a new heart, to change something. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to change that which was broken and far away from God. And what I want to look at, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And basically, Paul's writing here in this book, six chapters, is really not anything massively wrong with the church. It really is just to encourage the church. But what's so interesting about these six chapters is really what Paul does is he emphasizes who we are in Christ. That there is this old man. And in Christ, everything changes. And, and I love this chapter of Ephesians because what Paul would do for us, here's, he's going he's to show for us, here's what the old man looked like before Christ. Here's what it looks like now. Here's what a, a follower of Jesus, someone who, who has been changed, who Christ has changed from the inside out, here's how you walk in that now. Because I think that's the struggle for many followers of Christ is this. I, I see what Jesus did for me. I understand that he died for my sins. I get all that. The problem is, how do I live that out in my everyday living? How do, how do I get away from that, that old man? How many know that that old man sometimes is right behind us, nipping, nipping at our heels, right? Just nipping, just a little, I have a little dog that just nipping, nip, 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 Right? And it's just, it's this irritant, like a rock in your shoe, right? You walk around, there's a rock in my shoe. Nothing worse than going on a jog and having a little teeny pebble. And I, I'll go a little further and say, oh, it will move itself. And it doesn't. And then I'm giant. That's all I can think about is that little teeny pebble. And I have to stop and take my shoe off. And irritating, right? And so what, what Paul shows for us, he goes, there's that old man and he's nipping at your heels. He's that little pebble in your foot. And he's saying, listen, how do we distance ourselves from that? How do we renew our mind? How do we renew our hearts? How do we renew these things so that we can become like Christ and walk in that newness? Walk in that born again life that God has for us. In the fullness and the freedom that comes with it. So let's, let's, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter four. Uh, we'll have it up on the screen here for you. I'm going to read out of the English standard version today. Uh, Ephesians four, 17 through 24. And here's what Paul says. Here's your new life. Here's what it means to be born again. Here's what it means to be reborn from the inside out. It can't come from the outside. It's got to come from the inside 
out. Here's what it means to live a new life. Let's start with verse 17. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must, that you must. This is an imperative. He's saying, you can't do this. Don't turn around. Don't embrace that old man any longer. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to what? The hardness of what? Their hearts. It comes back to the heart. Verse 19, they, be, they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus to do what? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manners of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires. And then he goes on, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self. And the new self has to come from a new heart from within. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And Paul is saying to us is this. He's saying, let's compare our lives and let's look at them as, as two halves. We have BC before Christ and AC after Christ. So let, let's, look at the, let's, look at the, look, let's look at our lives in two halves. Paul is saying, this is what you were like before Christ, before Jesus opened your mind, before the truth exposed your heart. He says, we lived in darkness. We were separated from God because our hearts were what? It was hardened to God. They were hard. The, the word alienated literally means to be separated entirely. We were ignorant. This doesn't mean that people were uneducated. It means that we rejected the knowledge of God, thinking that indeed we were enlightened. Even the most brilliant minds, as great as they might be, all become futile if in the end they reject the truth of the gospel. It's futile. No matter how great the mind is, if it rejects the truth of God, in the end, it's meaningless. So what is the cause? What is the cause of this separation? What is the, what is the cause of, of, of the darkness of our hearts? And we have to embrace that first to understand what God brings us into next and becoming born again or reborn in the spirit of Christ. Because it can't come from me. It can't come from my knowledge or how smart I think that I am. It has to come from a heart of humility that bows itself to the Lord and says, God, I don't know it all. I am not a know-it-all. And, and if you listen to anyone that has hardened their hearts towards God, there's pride that stands in the way that thinks we know it all, that thinks we can figure it out. But the heart that comes with humility before the Lord God will lift up and he will enlighten you and he will show you what he desires to show you. Verse 22, Paul says that our hearts are corrupt. And the word corrupt there is very interesting because it means to spoil through a process. Now, it, how many of you are like me that are a parent and you have teenagers or young kids and they have cereal at night and they leave the milk on the counter. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I don't know how many times 
bless God, my son Colby, who just graduated. Okay, just graduated. Going to study chemical engineering cannot put the milk away. I have no idea how those two things go together. Okay, how can you know this much math and not be able to put the milk away? That's all I ask. So sure enough, we wake up in the morning. There's the wonderful full gallon of milk on the counter. And what happens after this process it spoils, doesn't it? It spoils. So every time he does it, he has to give me $5, all right? So you're going to learn, and he still hasn't. But anyways, it, it spoils over time. So, so have you ever taken a sip of spoiled milk or, have, or, or spoiled cream in your coffee when you're trying to stir it and it ain't stirring? You're like, boy, it's nice and clumpy in there. This is some good cream, right? And you try to pour the cream in and nothing's coming out because it's all moldy in there. Um, it, it, the, it just made you guys want to grab some coffee, right? Um, the milk is, is what? Corrupted. The cream is spoiled. And so what Paul is saying here, the word that he's saying there is corrupted. He's saying our corrupt or spoiled hearts lead to deceitful desires. See, it leads to something. That's the reason why I always think about myself. That's the reason why we're never satisfied. That's the reason why we look for this next thing and this next thing to fulfill the emptiness in our hearts and our souls because our hearts are corrupted. They're spoiled. And and it's done over a process. And over that process, the more we live that way, the more we live within the deceitfulness of our own minds and our own thinkings. And Christ came to change it. And literally what Paul is going to say later on in these verses is there literally in our, in our hearts and our minds has to be a retraining of what I used to do in comparison to who I am now in Jesus Christ. That I can't live that way because that way leads, leads to destruction and selfishness and fulfilling my own desires. And so the problem is we want to be in control. We look out for ourselves. There are hidden agendas. I mean, Jeremiah says it so well in Jeremiah 17, 9, where he says, the heart is deceitful above all things in the King James Version and desperately, what, wicked. Who can know it? And that's when people say, oh, just, you know, follow your heart and wherever it leads. How many you know how many of that got you into bad places, right? When you followed your heart or your emotions, right? That's why Jesus came to fix it because because it's, our hearts are spoiled. They're corrupted. And that leads to deceitful desires. See, we are sinners by nature. This is why we're constantly battling with our sin nature. It doesn't mean we can't do anything good. However, sin has separated us from God. Paul says this so well in Romans 3.23 where he says, All have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. Jesus paid that penalty for our corruption, for our spoiled hearts, our soiled and spoiled hearts. He paid for it with his very own life by becoming our substitute. So what Jesus did for us, he conquered that sin and, and through his resurrection showed us that he is perfect and his sacrifice was perfect. Meaning that through Christ, we can conquer death. And this gives us hope for the corruption of our hearts. So what's the hope for the corruption of our heart? Well, the hope is Jesus, period. That's the hope. God gave us his one and only son to become a perfect sacrifice for you and I. Jesus was perfect in every way. His heart was 
perfect. He was God. And he says, I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And I'll give my life for you. And I'll pay the penalty of that soiled and corrupted heart. I'll pay the penalty for that for for you. And when you put your faith in me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to impute or give you my righteousness now. That you can walk in my spirit. That the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will now live in us. That's cool. And that's why everything changes when you become born again. Everything begins to change. All of a sudden, my desires change. It's because why? My heart's changed. Those things I used to be attracted to no longer have its attraction any longer. Because my desires have changed from that which used to be ungodly to that which wants to please the Lord. Now, are we still tempted? Yes. And that's why Paul's saying here, listen, be careful. Because remember, that old man has been at your heels, right? He's going to be right there. Don't think that you can outrun him in your own strength because you can't. Temptation is crouching and is always at our door. Amen? The minute we, we lie to ourselves and say it's not, boom, the minute we fall. Right? So temptation is going to be right there. So Paul says, listen, listen, listen. You got to be aware. We're going to look at this next week. Next week's message for Father's Day. I can't wait. The best out of the whole selfie Uh, services, messages. I can't wait because we're going to talk about how do we battle it? How do we battle it the right way? Read Ephesians 6. Great, 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 great chapter and how we battle spiritually the right way, this old man. And so what Jesus does for us is is he gives us this new nature. What happens is we become eternally new and it's it's a, a regeneration. The Bible tells us that we are now partakers of this divine nature. We are a new creation with a new heart. Paul says, behold, all things become become old, behold, behold, all things become new. We are that new creation. God literally regenerates us. And so the message of the gospel is this. People thought that they killed Jesus, that he died. But in fact, spiritually, he was dying for our sins. And through the resurrection proves that he is the power over sin and death. That which which hold us down can no longer hold us down through the power of Jesus' resurrection. And so my hope is in the resurrection. My hope is that, that when I, we struggle with this old man and the temptation, it just gives me that hope that one day we will be with the Lord and no longer will we have those struggles any longer. That's the hope that we have. That's the power of the gospel message. And that's what gives me a joy and a peace and a hope that even though I struggle with this flesh and I struggle with this old man, one day, one day, one day, one day, it's no longer going to be there. It's no longer going to have that struggle. No longer we're going to have to fight with that, uh, with that, with that old man nipping at our heels. So we're a new creation, a new heart. So Paul tells us we are a new man made alive with Christ. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that we need to put on this new man like we would put on clothes. He goes, now put on, there's something that we need to do now. We just don't sit back and, and do nothing. Paul says, now you got to put on this new man. There has to be something that we do proactively. Uh, a perfect illustration of this is water baptism because water baptism symbolizes our regeneration of what God did inside 
and how it changes us in the way we live our lives on the outside. Baptism is symbolic of Jesus' death and resurrection. Going under the water shows that our old man, our old sins have died with Christ. Coming out of the water shows our new self raised with Christ. That's what's so powerful about water baptism. And if you're a follower of Christ and have not yet been water baptized, I implore you, be water baptized because this is your witness to the world symbolic witness to the world of what Jesus Christ has done in you. And you can share that. And it's a testament to the world that here's an outward symbolic act of what Jesus did eternally for me throughout all eternity, how he changed me and what he did internally within my heart and my soul. So there's this process that happens in Christ. I have this new life That old man, Paul says, needs to be dead. And I now live for Christ. Not live for that old man any longer, but now I live for Christ. And this is the process of sanctification. Two things uh, happen here when I come to Christ. When I come to Christ, he sanctifies me. He sets me apart, makes me holy. So positionally, I am made right before God. For if I were to die this day, I know that I would stand before God in Christ knowing that he would receive me, not because of my works, but because of my faith in Christ Jesus and what he has done for me. So positionally now, I am now made right before God when I come to Christ. He sanctifies me. He sets me apart. He makes me holy. The second thing is we grow in this sanctification. How many of you are perfect and you never make mistakes? Right? We, we still, so we're, we're growing in this sanctification. We are growing. Our minds are being renewed. We are being changed. So, so let's, let's, just, let's just get practical here. And, 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 and in your notes there, I'm going to just give you four things, okay, for you note takers. All right, I'm just going to give you four things on how this new life practically looks. Okay, so this is going to be a little self-inventory. Because if I say that I'm a follower of Christ, I'm following him. Things, there should be things that, that are obvious in my life now. There are some things that, that, that should sin. I, I can say all I want that I believe these things. But how many know the, the proof is in the fruit of my life and how I'm living it now? So if Christ has truly regenerated me, changed me from the inside out, um, he sanctified me. And if I really believe this, there should be evidence or fruit of what eternally and internally has happened in my life. Does that make sense? That there should be some change, something. That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we automatically memorize the whole Bible, right? I'm not saying that. What I am saying is there should be fruit in the way I look at my life now and how I deny that old man. And so let's look at this. Let's look at this practically. So we need to put off the old self, Paul says, its desires and continually put on that new self. So with God's help, okay, some of these, here's four things that happens that Christ gives us when we come to him and we are reborn and our identity is in him. First of all, we see that he gives us a new heart. And when God gives you a new heart, we begin to look at things differently. The change happens when my heart changes. This is the center of the heart. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it's literally the, the center of your life. Everything that you do flows from the heart. Jesus says, out of the abundance of, you know, the mouth and what we speak really comes from what? This, okay? So, so when, when, I, when I slip and I get mad, I get angry, 
and I lose my temper, we may think, well, I should never do that again. And we all have little filters in our life. We all know what's wrong. We all know. We all have our little filters and we all say, well, that's wrong. I shouldn't say that or I shouldn't feel that way or I shouldn't feel that way about that person. I'll never do that again. But really, let's go a little deeper than your little filter that you know what's right and wrong, right? We know that's wrong. I shouldn't say that. I feel so bad, right? I'll never do that again, right? But really, where does it come from? Which side is my heart on? The left, right? I don't know. It comes from our heart, doesn't it? There's something deep. Instead of just saying, I'll never do it again, say, maybe God, you're showing me something that's wrong with my heart. Maybe there's some bitterness there towards somebody. Maybe there's something that I haven't confessed to you that I need to confess. And we need to confess. Don't hide it. Just don't say, I'll never do it again. Confess that to the Lord and say, God, you've exposed something in my heart through this situation. And I need to deal with that. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants to deal with your heart because he knows if he has your heart, it's going to change the way uh, you live it in your everyday life. So, so God, now our hearts want to please God. And I believe this. I think it's absolutely necessary that we read our Bibles, that we understand scripture, that we have doctrine, you know, correct in our hearts and lives. I think all that is so we can, you know, so we can stand up against the world's philosophies. I think that is imperative. Also, though, I think we need to balance that with the sensitivity of our hearts to God's calling and to his voice and to his Holy Spirit. I think the one thing that God desires more than anything else in our hearts and our lives is that we have a sensitive heart towards him. There's something about a heart that's tender, that's moldable, that's pliable to God's voice, that's tender, that knows when we did something wrong that we hear the voice of God and we say, God, that's not what you want because I know that this is impeding my relationship. Now, I see two types of Christians in the world. I see those that are very rigid and hard and they may know their Bibles and they can point out every sin that's out there and they can point the finger at the world and say how bad they are and look where the world's going. And, and we were very rigid. We know our doctrines. We know, blah, 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 blah. but yet their hearts are hardened towards the Lord. And when you look at someone like that in the wake of their lives, I can look back over their lives and I can see Broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship after broken. Why? Because they're not sensitive to the Lord. They care more about being right than restoring relationships. Can you imagine if God cared more about being right than restoring our relationship with us through love? We would all be doomed here today, wouldn't we? It was God damn Listen. God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. It was out of his love that he reached us. Now, he reached us out of truth. Did he overlook our sins? No. He poured them all out on his son, Jesus, for you and I. That's what a merciful, graceful God we have. And I want my heart more than anything else I want for my three children that grew up in a pastor's home that I'm the only pastor they've ever known. I'm the only pastor they've ever heard preached. God bless them. Pray for them, right? That's all they know. And, and what, what can happen is because they're all I know and church is all they've known. I didn't grow up in technically a Christian family. So I saw the difference when my dad got saved. And I saw the difference when my mom became born again. I saw the difference. I saw how the dynamics in our family changed and how we began to pray together and, and just how they began to grow in Christ. And I witnessed that as someone that was in junior high school. And I saw the difference. 
I saw the difference. Well, my kids never saw that. They just grew up in a Christian. They, they always have seen that. And, and, and I want to be so careful with my kids because how easily can we become numb? Numb to the voice of God because that's what we're used to. And, and here's what happens with, with our walk with the Lord is that we can walk with God for so long and we know what to say. We know the right Christian words. We know what we can hide from people. We know how to say hallelujah. How you doing, brother? Praise God. Hallelujah. No, I'm just teasing. We don't talk that way. If you don't, I'll slap you. No, I'm just teasing. No, we, we know the right Christian lingo. We know, right? And, and what happens? We become numb to God's voice, to the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit when God speaks to us and say, Barton, that's you. You need to be careful here. I want you to listen. And when God breaks you and you get on your knees and you weep before him, that's not because God is trying to beat you in the ground. That's God saying, listen, I want you to be sensitive and to hear my voice. And, and, and sometimes brokenness is a good thing because that means that you're sensitive to the Lord. That means you're hearing him. So when we, when we say something that's, that's out of whack, when we say something that's out of kilter, when we say something that we know is not right, then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes around and just speaks to us and say, Barden, what are you doing? And we break inside. That's a good thing because that means your heart is tender towards the Holy Spirit and the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. Capiche? Okay, we get that? Okay, so let's move on to the next one. So not only does he give us a new heart, but he also gives us a new love. This one I like. This new love sees beyond my needs and my motivations. It's not all about me or what will benefit me. This love now actually wants to serve others. This love now has a love for enemies, Jesus says. It's radical. It's different. And so what was the, it's interesting when you look at the early church and secular historians would look at the early church, one of the key characteristics of the early church that secular historians would comment about is how they actually loved each other. They were different. Something changed. Their love was not, it was not exclusive. It wasn't just for people that loved them or people in their own group, but there was this love for the world that wanted to reach out to them with the love of Christ. He gives me a new love now. It's different. It changes. It's not selective love. It's not for those who just love me. It's a love for souls, knowing how Jesus died for everyone. Amen? Look at the third one. What Paul says here is Christ also gives me a new mind. Now, now how many of you know that that old man can weasel his way back into our lives so many times and, and the way the old man, for me, can weasel his way back into my life so many times is when I'm driving. Can, can I get an amen? I, that, that's, you guys know it. I say, pray, that's, that's, that's the pebble in my shoe, okay? Because people just do not know how to drive, okay? They just don't. I don't know how they get their license, but they don't. And, and, and that's for me as an old man. And, but what Paul's saying is that there has to be a renewing of that old pattern that is now in Christ. That transition occurs. And little bit by little bit, I change where I'm saying, well, God, I've got to honor you here, even though I may be right, even though people may irritate me. I, listen, it's not about necessarily being right. It's about Christ being glorified in my life now. It's about my testimony for you now, Jesus. Am I pleasing you? You. So what happens is 
is, is this transition occurs and little bit by little bit, maybe the anger subsides. My patience is better. I don't go to the, those places that I used to go to anymore. Uh, I don't watch the things that I used to. These things begin to change in my life. So he begins to change our minds. And Paul says, you need to renew that mind so that you don't go back to those old patterns again. And then the last one here Christ does for us is he gives us, I love this, new desires. This new desire wants to please God. And so when we wrestle with sin, when we fail or we feel miserable, what, what this new desire does is it comes to God and repents. It confesses it to find God's grace now. Not to hide it, not to cover it, not to justify it. But now this new desire says, you know what? I know that the only forgiveness and the freedom I can find is now through confession and repentance and through God's grace. You see, the religious man, he can make these rules that only deaden our desires through guilt and condemnation. So, so religious man-made rules only deaden our desires through guilt and condemnation. Because how many know we can feel guilty and condemned all day long? And we try to follow these rules, but they all, all of a sudden, they almost deaden our hearts to the sensitivity of God, of why God wants us to change and why he wants our desires to be different. It's not a big checklist on the wall where it's my chore chart that I make sure that I'm not doing this, not doing this. And all of a sudden I become deadened to the spirit of God of why he wants me to change. You see, we overcome sinful desires, not through guilt trips, but through new desires. Listen, this is good preaching right here. Man. Because we think the more I feel guilty and condemned and step on my toes, pastor, and make me feel guilty, that only will deaden your hearts eventually. But we overcome this, this guilt trip and this combination through new desires to want to please God because we love him. That's a regenerated heart not adding rules and regulations to your lives that will not do it how many of you had a chore chart in your house and it lasted for about two hours right and if you guys had a thing that worked for your kids that worked for years god bless you it didn't work in our house okay i'm just saying we had the thing and then after it just it didn't work we we knew we had to change their desires and so We'd make them sleep outside when they didn't do their things. No, I'm just teasing. Okay, so, so let's, let's look at, at what this regenerated heart truly looks like. I, I, I love what C.S. Lewis says here about desires. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak, actually. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at a sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. And so what Christ does for us, he gives us this new life. And so here's how we're going to wrap this up. How many know that there's bad habits and there's good habits? Habits aren't necessarily all bad. We sometimes look at habits as being a bad thing, but there actually are good habits. And what I want to do is I want to close by just giving you some good habits that you need to implement in your life. It, it, because here's what happens. When 
the desires of my heart change when I become born again and the desires of my heart change and he gives me a new mind, a new heart, a new love, new desires. Here's, let me give you some practical things of how this looks. And here's how the things changed for me. I went from a kid who did not want to go to church at all. Never. I mean, my parents would have to drag me to church. To all of a sudden, I wanted to be at church. I wanted to learn. I wanted to go to discipleship classes. We used to have Sunday night church. I would go Sunday morning. I would go Sunday night. I'd go to Sunday school. I'd go to discipleship classes. What, what happened from a year prior when I didn't want to go? What changed? My desires. My heart changed. Now I wanted to know Jesus. Things changed. So here's, let me just give some practical things here. Make it a habit to be at church every week. Now, I know, it's, I know it's summer season, so, you know, we, we you know, we're, you're going to be on vacation. That's fine. I, I get that. So don't feel guilty if next week, oh, man, next week we're going to camp and we're going to be away. And if the pastor doesn't see me, oh, my gosh, he's going he's gonna to give me a call. And I will call you. No, I'm just teasing. I will come. Just why? why? To, to add condemnation and guilt, I know, no, out of that desire to say, you know what? I want to be with God's people. Make it a habit because I guarantee when you begin to do that, when God begins to change your desires, things begin to change in your heart. So come to church. Hear God's word and worship with him. Make it a habit to read your Bible. Just make it a habit to read your Bible. You know, what I love is, for those of you that have smartphones, there's a great app called U, Y-O-U version app. It has all these different translations it has Bible devotions that you can do. So you could be in the doctor's office just waiting, and I can just pop that U version app, and I can read the word right there. It's just always the, the word of God, because it's on my phone, is always with me. And I know some of you, if your phone is more than five feet away from you, you go into conniption fits, right? So you can start going into withdrawals. Where's my, where's my phone? Listen, put the Bible on your phone. It's always with you. Make it a habit. There's devotionals that we have God's word for today um, in the narthex that you can pick up that are just short devotionals that you can read. Make, make it a habit to say, you know what? For the next month, I'm going to read the word of God every single day. I'm going to do a devotional. I'm going to open up the word of God. I'm just going to read it. Listen, you, you may say, I don't have that great knowledge in the word. Just start reading it. Don't worry about it. Just start reading it. Change your habits to good ones. This is going to be renewing your mind, renewing your heart. Make it a habit just to pray and talk to God every day when you wake up. It doesn't have to be, oh God, thou art great in my, don't, God, God doesn't necessarily speak King James language. Did you know that? Okay. Just want everyone to know that God speaks the language of your heart. He wants to know this. He doesn't care about how you say it or if it's in the King James language. He cares about your heart. Just talk and say, God, I'm struggling today and I need your help. I want to know more about you. You know what sometimes I do is when I open up the Psalms, I actually pray the word of God. Like, you know, you read through the Psalms and you're like, God, that's a great prayer. Let me just pray that right now. God, be my shelter. God, you're my hiding place today. I'm going to run to you. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul panteth after thee. Begin to pray that. And watch how God begins to change your desires, your heart, your mind, your love. Make it a habit to read a good book on spiritual growth. Let me give you a couple of my favorites. 
I, I was going to write those down in your notes, but I didn't. But just listen. If, if may, Some of you may have read these. Um, somehow we'll try to get these online or on Facebook. Um, I'll go with, with Pastor Mike so you can get some of these. But let me just go through a list of my favorite. Okay, you ready? Here's a list of my favorite. Author Jerry Bridges, two wonderful books on spiritual growth, The Pursuit of Holiness and The Practice of Godliness. Two great books that, that really formed my heart for God. The great classical books. Pursuit of Holiness, Practice of Godliness. One of my favorite books I've read over and over again, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Incredible, credible book. Now let me go through a couple that I've read that I've loved. I'm going to do them real fast, but you can, um, we'll put them online somehow so you can get them. Crazy Love by Francis Chan. Incredible book about formulating your heart for God. Love that book. Um, Radical by David Platt. Desiring God by John Piper. Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. One of my favorites, the first book I read when I was studying theology at school, Knowing God by J.R. Packer. That is just, mm, let's just stop for a moment, okay? We're going to start a new series in two weeks as we go through the summer called God is dot, dot, dot. And we're going to go through the characteristics of God. If you want to get a jump on that whole summer series, which is about 10 weeks long, read J.R. Packer's Knowing God book. It will strengthen your understanding of God and his character and cause you to know him in a, in a, in a new way. This is, helps you to understand the word of God and understand the character of God. Love that book. And then, and then for a great devotional book that I, it's, for many of you, it's, it's a favorite. I go back to this over and it's, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, 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 just a, a wonderful nugget of gold truth every time I read this. Um, it's My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. It's just a go-to. If you've not, you just, just get that. It's a great devotional. You can read that every single day. And it's just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. My Utmost for His Highest. They have a wonderful website that you can go to every day. Um, and so those are just some of my favorites. Do, do, do this for me this summer. I know some of you have your summer readings, and it's summer. And so I'm going to read some light books, you know. Can you do this for me? Just put that light book aside for the summer. Just put it aside. Just put it aside. And get one of these books to read, to challenge yourself to grow spiritually this summer. Get one of these books to challenge yourself to grow spiritually. Get into the Word of God this summer. Use it to your advantage. Not to, because I know summer we're just thinking casual and we, we're laid back. Use it as, 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 as for, for your advantage to grow close to the Lord. Amen? And just a couple more here. Make it a habit to pray with your spouse and family. Once again, it doesn't have to be some long revival service, okay? Just pray with them. Pray God's blessing over them. Pray for God's protection over them. Make it a habit to tell your wife and your kids you love them. Tell them every single day that you love them. Well, they know I love them. I know that, but tell them you love them. Tell them. Make it a habit to hug them. Make it a habit to get with other like-minded believers in small groups. If you're not part of a small group in our church, let me encourage you to get plugged into a small group, whether it's an Acts group, Sunday school, 
Thursday morning Bible study, women's group, whatever it is, get plugged into a small group. So let me ask you a question as we pray and we, we end the service today. What habit do you need to start? Start it. See, what Paul's saying, don't, here's what happens. The more those good habits, those spiritual habits are placed in our life, the less we feel the old man nipping at our heels. And so what Paul is, is, is imploring his readers, he's saying we must separate ourselves from that old man because he's always going to be there. And if we do not guard our hearts and if we're not proactive in our spiritual lives, that old man's going to be not only nipping at our heels, but crawling up our legs and then dragging himself over our back. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And what happens is for every single one of us, we go through this because what happens is we get tired. Things get overwhelming. We have health issues, financial issues, whatever it is. And, and we, are, we get tired. And so the, usually the first thing to go in our life is our spiritual lives. And, and once that happens, we become vulnerable. And then we become more open to attack. And then we say, well, I don't feel like getting up this morning and going to church. Or I don't feel like reading my Bible. Or I got a quarter way through this book and I'm tired today and it's much easier to read this other book that's more fluffy and fun to read. I'd rather do that. That's where you've got to kick it to high gear and say, no, I've got, to, I've got to be proactive and change my mind because I know this is not good because the Lord tells me that I need to renew my mind daily. That's how you do it. And when we do that, that's where we find God's freedom and peace and love for us. Not as a sense of duty that this is something that I have to do, but out of a new desire that this is something I want to do because I want to please you now, God. And I know temptation is right there crouching at at, at my foot, at my feet, and, and, and there's always an open door. If I'm not careful to shut it, it will consume me. So let's, let's become a people that begin to implement these good habits consistently. And what begins to happen is when you begin to do them, you begin to do them more and more and more. And what God begins to do is he begins to light a fire in your heart now. Your desires turn into maybe a flickering flame to a passion to want to know God more and more and grow deeper and deeper in Him. So let's do everything we can to pursue God with our whole hearts, knowing that He's changed us, that He's forgiven us, that we're born again. And so let's be those that pursue God and pursue His love like you guys pursued your wives before you were married, right? And you better keep doing that or I'll hurt you, okay? Keep pursuing our love, Jesus Christ, with your whole heart. And watch how God continually changes your desire and your minds when we do that. Amen? Amen.